I'm Daystar Eld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 12, Story Structures, part 2. So let's talk about how to work these structures in, in rational fiction. And also how to adjust them. Yeah. We were talking sometimes about media that we've consumed that, that follows these rules. And one of the th- thoughts that came to mind when you talked about the romantic fiction or action movie following the rising action falling action and then the climax at the end is how predictable that can become for people who have consumed a lot of media right to the point where a lot of people who would watch say a romantic comedy these days there's going to be like a whole 15 to 20 minute section of the movie where they know that all the things they see just doesn't matter because you know characters are crying or they're they're feeling hurt and angry because of the betrayal and all that and then they know that the movie's going to end with them getting back together for whatever reason and so this structure is great for writing a story and planning a story but there are also ways to potentially enhance the story by breaking from them yeah so there i think there are two big things the first is that yes the these story structures they are comfortable for a lot of people i mean romantic comedies People don't go to see those because they don't know what happens, right? Right, yeah. They're usually a comfort media. Yeah. You you go you go to see the romantic comedy because you know what's going to happen, and you know the sort of feelings that it's going to invoke in you if you can suspend your disbelief and not race ahead of it intellectually, right? Which is very easy to do. Yeah, it's not always a conscious choice either. Right. You don't go there because you're really curious what's going to happen. And actually, sometimes romantic comedies do break with tradition of course yeah <laughs> quite a few of the ones that i've enjoyed a lot are the ones that break from but again that's part of that's just because i'd say some people are more inclined to in, inadvertently race ahead in their in their in their mind yeah and predict what stories are going to do yeah but predictability that's issue one i think issue two is a lot of fiction a lot of story structure is you're connecting points a b c and d and you can run into a lot of problems when you need to go from point C to D, but that's not what your character would do because it's dumb. Yeah. Right? That happens a lot with heroes who are about to leave home or they're about to, like, embark on this journey or whatever. A lot of times that's dumb for them to do. It's, it's stupid or it's reckless, which can be fine as a character trait, but it can really grate on people. They're just like, why is Spider-Man deciding to fight crime? I mean, Uncle Ben, yeah, sure, but... In a lot of incarnations of Spider-Man, he's got this, like, material with super tensile strength, right? That could make him a billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you want to go fight crime. You have, with great power comes great responsibility, whatever. But it doesn't make any sense. Right. It's just just following the the familiar Spider-Man origin story path without consideration. So that's, that's the other big problem with following story structure is that story structure needs to come naturally from your characters and your situations. Right. Right. If you plot it in the beginning, you have to be flexible. Don't don't be too uh, afraid of, of changing things if it makes sense to. Yeah. So as far as that goes, 
I think that you can do you can do a lot of post facto justifications. Uh, that's easy, but it's not very rational. It's easy to say like, oh, like he has to go mano a mano with a villain at the end, right? Because mm-hmm. of the story structure. Mm-hmm. That, that's sort of how we've set it up, and we don't want an anti climax of you know <laughs> goes to the military, asks them to bring him a sniper, put it on a building, and then like go confront the villain, right? <laughs> take him out. It, like, and you can do fake out. That's probably. I guess how I would solve that is, you know, hero does the obvious thing that is at, like no risk to themselves. And then the showdown ends up happening anyway. You can do that. You, you need to be very careful that you're not just forcing it. But and ideally, you don't have a plot where there's where you can just, you know, owl someone a hand grenade. Right. Uh, if you have a plot where you realize, like, why doesn't he just do this to solve everything? Usually, my, my advice in that circumstance is to make the villain or antagonist more intelligent or more powerful, right? Because, I mean, if, you, if you're writing speculative fiction, this is much easier, obviously. But a lot of people who watched or read Harry Potter like to joke about, you know, Harry, just get a gun. Get a gun and shoot Voldemort and end, end the story. But besides the Horcrux issue, obviously, wizards that are so ignorant of the fact that guns exist in their world are probably too irrational to exist. Yeah. And realistically speaking, any wizard who wears robes and doesn't enchant them to stop bullets, like, you know, two inches from all around them, is probably not a wizard that deserves to be an an antagonist in a story. Yeah. In the modern world. Or even in the past world. Arrows, too. You know, whatever it is. Yeah, that's one of those things you need to... when When you're doing story structure, you need to make sure that you're following the internal character logic and the internal world logic, mm-hmm. right? If, if you're doing a story circle and you're, you know, they find something within themselves or something like that, and then they go confront the villain or have this, like, showdown, you don't want that to be an anticlimax, but you also need to make sure it doesn't feel forced for the reader, mm-hmm. right? Even if you do have to force it. I mean, even even if that was your plan... Right. You, there are ways of mending and fixing things such that it will not feel forced to the reader, which I think is very, very important. And in rational fiction, if you're reading for a uh, an audience who is explicitly looking for that kind of thing, they will be looking extra hard. So you need to make sure that your patches actually work. I think one of the biggest complaints about Metropolitan Man is that it is an anticlimax. Which I think I kind of disagree with, but I mean, I understand why people say it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It could have been changed to not be an anticlimax, right? It could have been changed to more definitely follow its sort of the conventional narrative structure. Right. Especially if you're writing for an audience of people who are, who you know are going to be picking the story apart and, and analyzing it deeply and everything. You want to put something in there that challenges those those traditional story ideas and structures. Yeah. Like, maybe not the structure, you know, at the most mechanical level, necessarily, but we've all read stories where the good guy wins and everything's fine. And it's not to say that those kinds of stories can't be satisfying in their own way, but you have so much more space to work in when things can go wrong and do go wrong. And right. you, can, you can bring through so many more ideas when some sacrifices are made or, or there's some ambiguity in the ending. And not necessarily in the ending as in, like, you don't 
know what happens next. That's that's part of it. But ambiguity also in was the story what we thought it was like with with the heroes and villains who we thought they were and that kind of thing. Yeah, Eliezer Eliezer wrote a story short story called The Sword of Good, and it was basically just a a quick highlight reel of a very traditional fantasy story. Um, person from our world goes into the fantasy world is told that a great king long-lost king or whatever that uses a magic sword to fight the dark wizard that's terrorizing the land and everything. And when they get to the evil wizard, they find out that essentially all the things that we as the as the reader is going along with the, comfort, the genre-comfortable story structure we're experiencing were not necessarily... They, we, we should have questioned them more given the modern values that we that we tend to to have outside of those outside of that genre so like you know is a const is, is a monarchy the best form of government right is killing orcs justified just because they're another race that you know we see as less than us things like that and and I, he he said that that that's like a thing that you know could become a full book which i don't think is true i mean because the reason that i think it works as a short story is because you're sort of you're sort of skipping past a lot of that values dissonance. Mm-hmm. You, you sort of like if if you wanted to put it in a story circle, right? That values dissonance is just the first, you know, two or three points on on your circle, and it's the underworld is sort of consequentialist thinking mm-hmm. or or whatever, and and that that's sort of the the journey down that the hero is taking, and then coming back up is sort of you know, being changed by that. Right. And if you had a full book, right, that that went through, like, all this stuff that had all this values dissonance, it would all just be sort of for nothing, because you can get that all accomplished in, you know, a thousand words or two thousand words, rather than taking, like, 80,000 words of values dissonance and, to get to the punchline. I think the two different story structures would actually accomplish two different things there. Like, like you said, the short story structure makes it very, it, it allows you to have the, the twist occur more spontaneously, right? Like you, 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 you might go along with a short story's brief description of all these things going on more comfortably before these, these dissonances really hit you and then have that, that final moment be a, a sudden surprise. Yeah. But a longer story structure would allow it maybe to extend that dissonance and show it more in the character so that yeah. you might change the ending a bit in terms of how it all like resolves, but it would make it potentially, first of all, more much more impactful emotionally when the hero makes those choices and, and betrays the people that you just spent 80,000 words being friends with and being allies with and everything. And it would also make it so that someone in, in who's reading it would have the opportunity to learn what the hero is thinking, the, the thought process of what the hero is thinking along the way, which is much more of the show versus tell kind of value in a, in a story. Yeah. It's just, if you, if you're following story circles or the monomyth, you have that the hero gets betrayed before the midpoint, before the narrative midpoint of the story, right? They get betrayed by their mentor and that sort of, the death rebirth thing is usually how it's structured mm-hmm. um, and it's structured that way because it's very difficult for readers. If you spend two thirds of the movie or whatever, it, it's, it's difficult for the reader because they, they sort of wonder why we spent that time. Mm-hmm. Right. 
you don't in a romantic comedy. I mean, yeah, they're meant to be sort of comfort food for people. But in the romantic comedy, you don't introduce a new love interest. Right. Three fourths of the way through the movie. If you do, you do it as the coda. Right, right. You do it as sort of the end tag. Yeah. They break up and you just are showing the start of a new a new cycle or it's like a return to home sort of 500 days of summer has this sort of like tag at the end that sort of completes the circle right it's one of those things where if you're playing with story structure you need to be careful that you're managing your climax and your anticlimax and not not leaving people with a sour taste in their mouth yeah Um, which, which is the big risk if like if if you want to go and just completely ignore all that stuff that a lot of people will come off and they'll be like, Oh, I didn't like that. And they won't even necessarily know why they didn't like it. It's definitely the risk that you take when you write any kind of ending that isn't either completely happy or also even completely happy without stakes. Like no one dies. No one loses anything. No real sacrifices are made. Everyone's just happy forever. That tends to leave a sour taste in certain readers' mouths. Whereas the other one around where nothing in their mind gets resolved well and everything's still craptastic and everything. Or sad. That's also not a satisfying ending for a lot of other kinds of readers. Yeah. And there's overlap there, obviously. Like, you don't want to write a romantic story where, I mean, maybe you do. Maybe this is something that, because there's, there is media like this and some people enjoy it. But in my view, a story where the person is looking for love, finds love, love doesn't work, and then at the end of the story, looking for love again with no character growth, to me, that's not satisfying. Either yeah. they, either the relationship worked out more or less, and we, they ride off into the more or less sunset, but you also don't want them to be, like you said, that you don't want them to think, like, well, what, what did we just go through all that for if the character didn't learn anything? And, and you know, maybe the character didn't learn anything, but we, the, the viewer, learned something, which is which is okay. But yeah. it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do well, I think, because it goes against a lot of the expectations that the readers and viewers have that are... They're not explicit expectations necessarily, but like you said, they can leave a bad taste in their mouth if they don't feel like the story meant anything. Yeah. So Branch Sun, the Tree of Time was my Terminator fanfic. That originally had one of those um, sappy endings. One of those, like, everything is resolved. It was like a technological singularity and everything's solved forever and no one's going to die anymore and all problems are fixed. And that was not a good ending. (laughs) Like... I, there, there were very few people who liked that ending, even if it was within, even if it was rational, mm-hmm. right? So, so it got changed to be this much more sort of bittersweet type of thing. That mm-hmm. things are better, but they're not perfect necessarily. Yeah, things are better. People have learned lessons. There's been character growth, and we're stopping short of making everything syrupy. Yeah. It's, right. it's, it's, an, it's an optimistic ending, but it's not a perfect ending. Yeah, right. And I think that, that accomplishes, I mean, that's that's more maybe about tone than necessarily story structure, but I don't know. And endings are, for my money, the most difficult part of, of writing. Right. A lot of Stephen King stories will tend to end very ambiguously, and they'll usually have either an optimistic note or sometimes even a pessimistic note. If they're if they're if they're like straight horror, like a lot of horror movies do this too. The pessimistic note is you know the last shot of the monster 
eyes opening or the hand shooting out of the water or whatever yeah. to show that they're still still alive uh, because everything seems great but you've got this pessimistic note or on the flip side everything's terrible the world's overrun with monsters or whatever but there's an optimistic note in that humanity might still you know be able to survive and and there's hope for them and those tend to, to me those tend to be if you if you stray from those those kinds of things usually you've got to give and take something out of the story either characters need to die characters need to die if the ending is too happy or there has to be a a strong a strong sense of hope if things end terribly because yeah. anything else just doesn't feel satisfying to me as a as a reader. Yeah, and it sort of depends on whether you're like if you're doing a tragedy. Right, right. You know, having someone undone by the the seeds of their own destruction, it's usually bittersweet because you've come to to know them. But like House of Cards, right, is is not complete yet. But if that House of Cards doesn't come tumbling down, that's not going to be a good ending. Right, right. If the House of Cards is just built up, and then they put glue there. And it stays built up forever. That's, that's they, violating if, promises to the reader. If, if they do that, they do it with a political kind of point. Not political necessarily in that in that word, but like it, it makes a point that these kinds of things can happen, and and bad guy can get away with it, and like not all is just in the world, and all that kind of stuff. Right. And I would maintain that that's not necessarily a bad way to end something, but it. it it it's hard to do. Lord of War is one of my favorite movies with Nicolas Cage. Yep. One, one of my favorite movies with Nicolas Cage, and also one of my favorite movies with Nicolas Cage because yeah. <laughs> Nicolas Cage is a very hit or miss um, actor for me. Always amusing, not always great movies themselves. But the Lord of War ending spoilers is very, very much that this is the way the world is. This is just like sometimes the bad guys win. They're not necessarily always the happiest people, and they're not even necessarily always bad guys. In, in the purest sense, you know, they're, yeah. but, but the world is not just, that can be an important point to make in a story. And that's, that's one way to make it is to not have the villain protagonist have their comeuppance. But again, it can leave a sour taste in people's mouths. This is the end. Like you said, endings are very hard to, to nail, yeah. to make everyone happy. With a tragedy, you can sometimes split the difference. Like House of Cards is all about Frank Underwood's mm-hmm. sort of meteoric rise in the political world or whatever. You can split the difference by having him publicly well-regarded and sort of canonized, but, like, privately destroyed. Right. Which is pretty much what Lord of War does. You can split the difference there, and I think that's... It's a good it's a good compromise. Yeah. But endings, endings are difficult because you want to sort of... You want to keep within that structure, because if you just have a straight anti-climax, you, you'll just upset people. Yeah. Because they, they love their structure, even if they say they don't. I mean, when I read Luminosity by Alicorn, I read the story probably, I think I read the story in, in maybe like a weekend. I just ate all of it and I loved it. But that ending for Luminosity was just a huge punch to the gut for me. Yeah. I was taken aback by how much it affected me and like the despair that it, it brought up in me. Partly because I had come to obviously really like love the characters and the world and everything, but also because... It was so unexpected from the expectations of that kind of story that I, that I, not just as a reader, but as a reader who was reading a rationalist fiction where intelligence and munchkin works and that satisfying, you know, uh, resolution to that kind of stuff. Yeah. So seeing cleverness fail, seeing all that kind of stuff was, was very affecting in, in a number of ways. And I enjoyed the hell out of it, but it, there's no denying that that was a, a strong negative emotion that I felt as a result of that. 
Yeah, and, and I would say the fact that it, in order to be a complete story, it needed to have Radiant. Right. I've read people who said, I was one of these people myself, like, I've read people who said that they stopped Illuminosity and they asked, you know, is it worth reading Radiance? Uh, I always knew I would I would read Radiance eventually, but it took me maybe like another couple of months to, to get around to it because I was so off-put by it. Not off-put, off-put's not the right word, but yeah. So like you said, like the, continuing it with Radiance is an important part of that. Yeah, to to maintain the story structure and have not just have this you know story that makes people feel bad because it's pretty easy to make uh, yeah, yeah. To ha- have a story just make fe- people feel bad right um but usually you're not doing your job as an author unless you're very specifically trying to make some kind of point. There was a book I think it was called White Oleander who's about this this girl who gets passed from like foster home to foster home and they're all horrible in some unique way right and that was a book that was meant to make you just feel sort of terrible feel terrible and it it still follows a, a a a structure but it's it's very intentional in the way that it makes you feel bad right because right. it's easy to make feel, people feel bad with an anticlimax or just you know the good guy dies at the end. Or the right, right. At the end. The dog dies at the end. Yeah. In a lot of trilogies, you will see the first movie be a complete, like, movie that follows its own, like, hero's journey, or it's it's established structure, and it ends with maybe, like, a tiny hook at the end for, like, if we want to, you there know, was doc, a, there was a great success, but not everything's not everything's perfect. Yeah, or you you have Doc Brown come in and yeah, yeah. No, it's not you, Marty. It's your kids, and then fly off in the sky. Right. Um, but then when movie two comes out, they know that they're going to do a movie three. Yeah, and so they sort of they set up an incomplete story, mm-hmm. um, which Back to the Future two definitely does. Empire um, Strikes Back is the yep. essential example. Yeah, and and that's sort of you stop halfway through the story and then people have to come and see the third movie. And that was, I mean, a lot of people say Empire Strikes Back is their favorite movie in large part because of the, the dark downer ending. Right. You know, this, this is again that like, if you're going to have a downer ending though, like there has to be hope. And like Empire Strikes Back was, was one of the darker endings of a lot of the most popular movies that in public consciousness. And I, I would say they did a good job. That ending shot was very hopeful. Yeah. Especially the music. I mean, the music is, is fantastic in a lot of ways, but like that they did the perfect job of, of encapsulating like what you as the viewer felt. Right. And and you know going to the next movie that it's going to be on the upswing. Right, right. Because the character, characters, protagonists have hit their lowest point and then they're going to start rising again. Right. Because that's, that's story structure. Mm-hmm. That's just, you would never go into that next movie. I mean, for a bunch of reasons, but in story structure terms, you could never go into the next movie and then things get worse for the characters for the next like two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Certainly, certainly they don't end the third movie in a worse place than at the end of the second. Movie. Right. Right. I mean, you can argue the battle of Endor and everything being everything that happened at the end of return of the Jedi being too saccharine. Good. Everything was perfect. You know, all bad guys are dead, ignoring the coming apocalypse to Endor because of the exploding death star. But it still had that somber moment of Luke watching Darth Vader's body burn to kind of like signal, you know, the sacrifices that were made. But overall, obviously, this is a very subjective thing. There are many people who probably enjoy perfect endings more than than don't, maybe? I don't know, actually. 
Yeah. As a quantity of the readers and viewers, I don't know. Uh, as even within the rational community, I'm not sure. I mean, for like Luminosity had a had a fantastic ending, downer aside. I mean, it was a downer ending, but again, still had that thread of hope in it. And the Radiance sequel, in my view, was the too perfect ending. Yeah. It, w- it was not just everyone that you know and love is alive and you know happy, but also people that had previously died. Spoiler alert: people that had previously died came back, which is which was a little bit too much for me, especially because the explanation didn't really. I didn't buy it. Like it didn't. It didn't. I didn't feel like it, it, it was it was earned in the story uh, yeah. for how they came back. But yeah, it's, it's, that might be just be a personal thing in terms of two happy endings versus um, endings that are more nuanced. But I think a lot of people liked it. So yeah, and again, endings endings are hard. I think yeah, actually, Harry, Harry Potter had way too saccharine of an ending for me, despite I, all the all the bodies in, in Hogwarts. Yeah, despite all that, because right. Harry died. Yeah. It was like everyone who died at Hogwarts died because she wasn't willing to kill off Harry. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, it need, for me, it needed to be a palindrome, right? He needed... You start the story with, like... The boy who lived. Yeah, the boy who lived, and then he dies at the end. Mm-hmm. Right? That It needed it needed that uh, symmetry, that sort of, like, I'm gonna die to show my love for the world, just as my mother died to show her love for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The story structure, I thought that for sure that should have happened. Right. And um, there's a, I mean, the, the epilogue of Harry Potter, I think, was the worst part of it, that ending. The, the, the oh, if, yeah. if they hadn't included, if she hadn't included that ending, uh, which I can understand why she did it from a meta level, but like, for a story, for a story to end like that, to me, just cemented that everything's happy forever and perfect. And you know, obviously, Things can go bad after that point, which I think that latest play that I haven't read or seen explores. But it just it just ended everything on too much of a of a of a positive note. Yeah. So that pretty much does it for story structures. Uh, next time we're going to be talking about prophecies and what the way that they, in my view, horribly snarl and spoil stories for me. And we're going to talk about how do them without screwing up your story and ruining it for people like Daystar. That's going to be Alexander's job, because... Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, and see you next time.